Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is a jam-packed episode of the Take 10 Podcast. We brought in a couple great guests, and you'll especially like the lineup we've got if your name is Kevin, because we've dubbed this podcast the All Kevin Podcast. Just happened to bring in a couple of super relevant and timely guests who are both also named Kevin, and we centered... uh, the guests kind of around the game of the week here at BTN, the Purdue-Ohio State basketball game Wednesday night. A uh, huge top 15 matchup that Ohio State won 64-63 in thrilling fashion on a KWHD up tip-in. And our guests surrounding that game are Tampa Bay Rays center fielder Kevin Kiermeyer. And you might be wondering why, why I'm having a Major League Baseball player talk Big Ten hoops, but uh, Kevin is actually a well-documented Purdue Boilermakers super fan. So when I asked Mr. Kiermeyer to come on, it was before the game. Uh, we set it up, and, and I figured Purdue had a pretty good shot to win. So um, I figured I'd, I'd be having him on, and he'd be in good spirits and and giving his thoughts after a Purdue win, and, and we'd kind of get into his Purdue fandom. As you as you know, uh, Ohio State, as I mentioned, won the game, spoiled the party in West Lafayette, moved into first place in the Big Ten. So. Kevin Kiermeyer was a great sport and still agreed to come on literally like 30 minutes after the game ended and gave some really uh, candid good thoughts about Purdue basketball and, and his fandom. Talked a little bit of Major League Baseball as well. So it was a, a great discussion with the two-time gold glover. And uh, listening back to that, I, I noticed there was a, uh, a little bit of an audio issue just with a little bit of a, it sounds like a scratching on the mic. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to look into it and try and get that resolved. So if you can bear with me on that, the interview is still really uh, productive and fun with Kevin Kiermeyer. So uh, definitely, definitely give that a listen. After Kevin Kiermeyer, we have uh, another prominent Kevin, and that's Kevin Kugler. The uh, talented play-by-play man was on the call Wednesday night for Purdue and Ohio State. He was in the booth alongside Seth Davis and John Crispin, and we talked to Mr. Kugler about the Purdue-Ohio State game. We talked about Nebraska basketball because Kevin is from Nebraska, went to Nebraska, and has some insight there. Talked a little bit of Nebraska football as well with signing day uh, just the other day, and Scott Frost mania still in full effect in Lincoln, Nebraska. And um, overall, it was just a great discussion with Mr. Kugler. Uh, he's actually a recurring guest on the show. I had him on our second overall episode of the Take 10 podcast. So I figured this would be a good time to bring him back and talk a wide variety of topics. So this is the All Kevin episode of the Take 10 podcast. And both guys are great. So we'll get to those interviews in just a moment. First, I want to give a couple of reminders before we uh, get into those discussions. First one is please continue to... Uh, download the episodes. Please subscribe if you haven't already to make it easier to download those. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podbean. So if you're listening on SoundCloud right now, head on over to those podcasting platforms and subscribe. You can also like, rate, or leave a review on the podcast if you enjoy what you hear. Uh, Second reminder that we do have a coupon code active on the btn.com online store. So if you uh, want to do some online shopping for some Big Ten merch, Big Ten swag, head on over to the btn.com online store and use the coupon code TAKE10, that's T-A-K-E, all caps, number one and zero, for 10% off your order at the btn.com online store. Once again, that's T-A-K-E, one zero. All right, with those out of the way, it's time to get to our first Kevin interview. It's Kevin Kiermeyer of the Tampa Bay Rays, and he's also a Purdue super fan. Gives some great thoughts, so uh, stay tuned. It's BTN's interview with Kevin Kiermeyer.
I'm very pleased to be joined by Tampa Bay Rays center fielder, two-time Gold Glove winner, and Purdue Boilermakers super fan, Kevin Kiermeyer. Kevin, what's up, man? How you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing okay. My Boilers had a tough loss tonight, but you know what? Can't dwell on it. Life goes on. Big game uh, at Michigan State on Saturday, so. We'll just see what these boys are about and if they can rebound after a tough loss. But other than that, uh, the tough loss tonight, I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Kevin, I got to say, you are a, an awesome sport coming on still. Less than an hour after Ohio State went in and stunned Purdue and what really was the most significant Big Ten game to date so far. Um, so, Kevin, as a Purdue fan, uh, just give me your quick kind of visceral reaction here to what you saw tonight while that wound is still fresh. Well, uh, you know, it, it was a sloppy game both ways, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, the first first five to eight minutes was, was really hard to watch. You know, a lot of turnovers. Teams are just, you know, throwing up bricks left and right. And, you know, Purdue made a couple runs, and Ohio State came right back. But, um, you know, the big thing that sticks out to me is in the second half when Purdue made a great run and uh, got to lead up to 14 with nine minutes to go. And, and then, uh, you know, as as uh, Andy Katz and Robbie Hummel pointed out uh, after the game when I was listening, um, Ohio State chose to go a smaller lineup. And then that's how they, they made their run. And, man, you know, we just – we couldn't rebound. And they just – they out they flat out outplayed us the past – or the last 10 minutes of the game. And it really, really hurts because – you know, I've seen Purdue do that before where they've blown huge leads like that. And at home when they're so good at Mackey, such a statement game versus such a good Ohio State team. Uh, but, you know, you have to credit Ohio State for staying in it. You know, a lot of these teams in the league this year, especially in the Big Ten, you know, if you're down 14, you you see everything just unwind and 14 turns into 20 or so. And, uh they they kept at it and they played great, but that was a, a tough loss for us Boilermaker fans. And that place was rocking all night tonight. It would have been great to get another win, but life goes on. Yeah, really well said. And, and the place was rocking, and, and Ohio State really brought their A game at the end. But I mean, you got to you got to step back, I think, and just appreciate as well what Purdue's been able to do. Yeah, that loss sucked if you're a Purdue fan, but what they've done this year has been remarkable, and everything is still in front of them. So. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, you know, where you go from here. I know they got a big game against Michigan State, like you said, coming up. And, and you got to think all their their goals are still very achievable in front of them, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That um, You know, there's there's still, you know, a lot to do with the next three weeks of conference play, then going to the Big Ten tournament, then into March Madness. Um, you know, watching these guys, what this whole year, they, they've been so good. Uh, you know, I've had a couple close games and, you know, pulled off some big road road wins. But that's the thing about this team where, um, you know, it kind of makes me scratch my head. We're so so good at, at Mackey, but on the road, you never know what team is going to show up. And, you know, the Big Ten, I think it's a down conference. I, I think it's safe to say it's a down uh, year for the conference other than Ohio State. Uh, you know, Michigan's done okay, Michigan State, Purdue. But other than that, you know, it's just kind of a toss-up. You know, you see teams like Wisconsin who are really struggling this year. Um, it, it's just – it's kind of a different feel, and I don't think the, the conference is as strong. But I say all that because, you know, Purdue, when, when it really becomes tournament time, you know, you're never playing at home. And, you know, the, the defense lately has, uh, has been a little bit disappointing, but um, – the rebounding, they have to improve. And, you know, they, they rely so much on Isaac Haas. You know, he has to come and play every night, and that's a lot of pressure to put on one player. And I know they have so many other good players, but they played Rutgers the other day, and they won by a few points. And I think Isaac Haas, I think he had uh, five or six points, and everything goes through him. Once he starts going and they double-team, he can kick it out to Carson Edwards, Dakota Mathias, Vince Edwards, P.J. Thompson – but it all goes through him. So if he plays good, you know, Purdue gives ourselves a really good chance. But um, it just all depends on, uh, you know, what what Purdue team are we going to get each and every night. And they've done so great this year. But, um, 
you know, especially Big Ten tournament and, and during March, it always scares me because I, I just know how they are on a neutral court or away. But, uh, you know, that's the case for everyone. That's the beautiful thing about that. But, uh, man, they uh, it, it's exciting, though. I, I'm so excited to see what this team's done. I, I've been proud of them all year. And, you know, I live and die through every game. So it, it's an absolute rush watching these guys. And, um I'm going to ride or die with them no matter what. Yeah, you clearly know your Purdue hoops. And in your Twitter bio, uh, you put second only to the, the center field for the, the Rays description. You, you say Purdue Boilermakers number one fan. So how did this fandom come about? Like, get me into the entire history of kind of how you uh, you grew into such a passionate Purdue basketball and sports fan. Well, it, it all started with my childhood and my, my dad and my grandpa. They, they grew up Purdue fans, so I wanted to, um, you know, follow their footsteps. So I like Purdue. My, my mom was a big – she's a big Indiana Notre Dame fan, and that pains me to say that because I love that woman so much. <laughs> That's she's tough. So, she's so misguided with her sports. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a true Purdue fan. I just – I dislike – those other two universities with with an absolute passion I really do um I don't mind Notre Dame basketball that much but Notre Dame football and then IU basketball football I I I could care less if they ever won a game the history of their programs but like I said I'm a true fan and I, I mean that when I say that but going back to me being a Purdue fan um you know as you get older you kind of learn more and, and whatnot but Really what started, you know, Purdue basketball wasn't anything after Glenn Robinson left in the 94, you know, he was there 93, 94 when he was uh, national player of the year, all that. And then there was a long stretch of, you know, Purdue being bad or mediocre. And then Chris Kramer, Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson, Etwan Moore, they just changed the culture of that team. And I was old enough to really start, being able to engage in those games and kind of know who the guys were and, and, you know, know a little bit more about basketball as I got older. And, you know, ever since those guys made those runs for those uh, three or four years, I've been hooked ever since. And uh, it was the same way with Purdue football when Drew Brees was there and, you know, through the years after that when Kyle Orton and Curtis Painter were there, you know, always glued to the TV on Saturdays. But, um, you know, as time go- has gone on, um, Man, I just I I'd never miss a game, and I think it's going to be like that forever. And you know, this is such a, a fun year to be a part of. And I know we have four really quality seniors that we're going to lose next year. But like I said, I've I've uh, mentally told myself, and uh, you know, I'm a Purdue fan till the day I die, and I'll, I'll be this crazy about them forever. Yeah. So you, uh, I mean, that's in your blood. You're you're Fort Wayne native, correct? I am. All right. So you could have gone to play to uh, Purdue to play baseball um, after you had a stop at Parkland College in Champaign um, and ended up choosing the Rays instead when they, when they drafted you. So what went into that decision? Was that tough for you being a Purdue fan? It was. It was really tough. Um, I'm going to do a, a long story short here. I got drafted in the 31st round uh, out of Parkland my sophomore year, and I had a scholarship to go to Purdue that next year, which would have been my junior year. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to go in the 31st round. I thought I was going to go anywhere through fifth to eighth round. And, you know, for guys like me, you know, you kind of depend on uh, a signing bonus to live off of because, you, you know, you never know if you're going to be in the minors for two years or eight years. So being the 31st round, I, I thought for sure I was going to go to Purdue. And, um, you know, it got to the point where we – we uh, agreed to a, a certain amount and it wasn't anything crazy but I knew that I was just ready to go play and uh, it really hurt to to uh, forego a Purdue scholarship I always wanted to be a part of that university somehow and um, you know that that'll I never uh, stepped foot on campus as a student there I've been there many a times but I knew it was the youngest I'll ever be at that point and um, you know age is a huge huge uh factor in baseball and i was i was just ready to go so i signed with the rays in 2010 and and to be honest it was the best decision i ever made and a lot of me still thinks you know what would have happened if i would went purdue this or that would i you know land with a different team a year or two later who knows but um i guess uh 
you know, I can't sit here and dwell on that. I'm very happy with what's, what's happened with my career. And I believe everything happens for a reason. So I'm very happy where I am today, but I always wish I claim Purdue so much, uh, you know, Purdue this, Purdue that. And, but I never actually went there. So that, that part kind of, kind of hurts my morale a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> hey, I mean, you can't argue with the results. I mean, two-time gold Glover, you're, you're in the majors, just signed a big contract extension before last season. And, uh, you mentioned your, your draft pick, where you were picked in the draft, uh, 941st overall uh, in the late rounds, and obviously you felt slept on thinking you were going to go in a higher round. So with that mentality, I mean, not that Purdue fans carry such a heavy underdog mentality, but I do feel like kind of seeing all the social media reaction that, that we get from fans, that there is a kind of a chip on their shoulder for, for Purdue fans. And do you kind of feel like, that chip on your shoulder is similar, the one you carried that drove you to the major leagues. Is that, is that kind of similar in your fandom for Purdue, or am I just off in assuming that? You know what? It, it is because even uh, after, you know, all like just talking about Purdue basketball this year, all they've done this year, you know, three losses now, um, up until this point, you know, they never really get talked about. And you see how much, you know, it, the, the Dukes and North Carolinas and, in Kentucky's, all these teams, Michigan State's, they're going to get talked about every year no matter what. And, um, you know, Purdue's always been under the radar type of university as far as certain things like that go. You know, there's been some really good individual performers throughout the years. You know, I mentioned Glenn Robinson, Drew Brees, Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, guys like that. But for the most part, uh, you know, collectively as, as – different teams throughout the years you know you haven't brought home a championship or anything like that a couple of big 10 conference championships here or there but it's going to be like that for probably quite a while and i've always been a low-key under the radar type guy my whole life and i always use that as a chip on my shoulder i don't care uh about my contract i mean i'm very grateful for my contract but i always told people when i got that last year i'm still going to go play the same way i did when i was in high school junior college minor leagues i'm never changing anything i always have something to prove to someone and uh like i said i guess you know purdue can relate to that too whether you know we're talking about the university itself or the athletics whatever it's just it's a place that doesn't get a whole lot of recognition but you know, for guys like me, that's right where I want to be because uh, I know I can do damage out there on a baseball field and you better not sleep on me just like you better not sleep on the Purdue Boilermakers because uh, they'll, they'll bite you in the butt and, and they'll, uh, you know, go pull off a, a lot of W's uh, if you you count them out. So, yeah, I guess we can both relate to each other with, uh, you know, kind of the same similarities. Yeah, it's not only that. You know, it's like the whole defensive mentality. You know, you, you've gotten accolades for your defense Purdue, they showed that uh, Purdue intro video tonight on BTN, and I, I've always loved watching that because they have the whole defense lives here mentality, you know, our house, like protect our house. I feel like that defensive kind of, you know, grinding mentality is exactly kind of how you play baseball. It is, and defense will always be my, my bread and butter. That's what got me caught up to the big leagues um, when I first broke through in the 2013 playoffs. Uh and it's so random for someone like me to, you know, with no no big league time and for me to get caught up at such a crucial time. Uh, I'm out there making my debut out there. Um, and but it matters, you know, you know, baseball, there's there's so many, you know, it's, it's two side game. You play offense, defense, just like basketball. And uh, there's a lot of other variables that come into play. But, um yeah, it, it's just going out there being that scrappy, um, you know, just a bunch of gamers out there, you know, not afraid to get bloody or, you know, scuff an elbow or a knee up diving for a ball. And, and that's the way Purdue's been for as long as I can remember. And it starts from those, like I said, Chris Kramer days of him being, you know, back there and really setting the tone. And, uh, you know, that's what kind of Matt, Matt Painter expects out of his guys and, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. Defense, defense matters and, and, it, and it does win championships. So I, I need my bullers to, to step it up just a little bit though on that side of the ball right now, because like I said, they're, they've been lacking a little bit lately, but you know, we all hit our, uh, you know, slumps and, and strides every now and then, but I'd like to see them rebound a little bit 
better and, uh, you know, get a few more stops in critical situations. All right, so take me through it. Um, obviously, baseball, uh, it's the off season when Purdue basketball season is going on, so it, it fits well into your schedule. What's like a game day ritual like? Like, where do you spend your off season? Where are you watching? And, and how are you consuming these games? I live in Tampa, Florida now. Um, I've lived down here for the past four years, and I always know when Purdue is playing. I, I never miss it. I just got recently married this past November, and my wife loves my love for Purdue, but she hates how much I want to watch and invest my time. And I love college basketball in general. It's not just Purdue. I mean, they're my team, but I watch basketball pretty much every day of the week, and it, it just never gets old to me. I love watching good competitive games. And so for me, you know, I, I wake up, I go work out every day, um, and then I'll go practice with University of Tampa from usually 2.30 to 5 o'clock. Then I come back, get a little bit of uh, light dinner, and then I'm uh, glued to that TV from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock uh, pretty much every day. I'm, I'm pretty boring um, I don't do a whole lot. I try letting my body rest uh, as much as I can, but I love sitting on my beautiful, comfy couch watching some college b-ball. That's what makes me happy, and uh, it's it's uh, one of my passions for sure. All right, so I got to ask, with you know your connection to Purdue, have you ever done anything like in an official capacity with them? Have they like welcomed you? you know, into the layup line, like, like Drake style, or, or is, uh, is that something they'll have to wait for the future? Yeah, I, I don't know. The layup line hasn't happened yet. Um, I, I think, uh, I know my role, so I'm not going to try to cross any lines, but <laughs> a couple years ago, they invited, um, me and my brother and two of my other best friends. And, um, they gave us like an all access tour. Brian Cardinal, one of the all time Purdue greats, was actually the one showing us around. He showed us around the weight room practice facility, showed us around Mackey, let us watch the team do a shoot around. And then I went and played a uh, horse against my brother and both my buddies. And uh, I was just making it rain the whole day. Uh, yeah, I'm from Indiana, so I always say shooters gonna shoot. You had the uh, you had the milk carton or whatever the the hoop in the barn in the backyard. That's like the the stereotype, yeah, right? Hey, we we had a hoop my whole life in our driveway, and I've I've always been very fond of of my jump shot, and I think Brian Cardinal can vouch for that as well. I was uh, I was hitting a lot of shots that day, and still to this day, uh, before all my workouts, I I go shoot free throws, I dribble around do uh, all these crossovers when I'm just playing in front of my Im- imaginary defender and I shoot about 50 to 100 threes a day uh, for the most part. And I absolutely love it. Basketball has, has was my first love. And as I got older, I realized that that um, that dream quickly faded. But back to the, uh, the story about Purdue, they yeah, they gave me an all access tour and then they gave us the Close to floor side seats there at Mackey. They played Vanderbilt. Um, it was it was awesome. Uh, I'll never forget it. We had such a great time. And uh, like I said, I mean Purdue just will always have a special place in my heart. And it was really cool being uh, you know shown around by the custodian, aka Brian yeah. Carton, one yeah. of the best ever. Another uh, another Central Illinois guy right there. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. So uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I hope I can do that again in the near future. Um, I gotta ask, are you, since you're one of those guys that bats left, throws right, are you a, uh, lefty with a J or do you, do you shoot right-handed? No, I'm righty. I'm righty. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the smooth left-handed stroke, but I'm a, I'm a righty. I only bat left-handed and I kick left-footed. Those are the only things I do in that aspect. All right. So if I went into like the Rays locker room and kind of yeah. asked people, uh, about you and your Purdue fandom, would they like definitely know right away what I'm talking about? Like, do you make this known in the locker room in oh, season? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and my uh, my teammates will let me hear about it. But you know, there's a lot of guys who uh, they give me they give me a lot of crap because I never went there, and they all know that. So they always say I claim Purdue and I never went there. And a lot of these guys come from uh, you know so many different backgrounds, but a lot of them uh, you know went to univers or you know played baseball at their universities, and you know. They they sit here and say you know I'm, I'm a real I'm a real fan I went there you're just a fake uh, you know 
wannabe Purdue Boilermaker fan. You never went there, blah, 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 blah. So I, I hear it year in, year out. But that doesn't take away my love for Purdue, and uh, I'll stand by that till the day I die. And they, uh, I think they respect that. So we have we have a lot of fun with it. But um, yeah, it, it it's fun. All right. So since we're on the uh, topic of the Rays, I did want to squeeze in a couple baseball questions while I have you here. All right. Um. So so one thing, it's kind of a hot topic right now in Major League Baseball, and I, I want to ask you because Chris Archer tweeted about it recently, and that's the the discussion surrounding the pace of play in baseball and Chris essentially tweeted that if people don't have the attention span for what major league baseball currently is and the, and the time it currently takes without a pitch clock or without these kind of proposals that are being brought up, then that's kind of on them, you know, like the, the game is what it is and, and like it or leave it pretty much. So I'm curious where you stand as a player. Like, are you on board with some of these pitch clock proposals or speeding up the game? Um, it's just, it's such a, hot, such a hot button topic right now. I'm um, interested in your thoughts. You know what? I, I don't like it. I, I don't like change, for one. Uh, I think the game's been played the same way for 100 years, and I don't like how we're trying to just change it so much. That's just my opinion, but when it when we're sitting here trying to eliminate a game by from five to seven minutes, um, I, I, I don't know. I just It's one of those things where, you know, baseball, it's different from – any, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to play a two and a half hour game. It really is. And that is, you know, when you, when we play those games, it's, it's usually the score is one, nothing, two to one. And there's probably five hits for one team and four for the other. And that's not going to happen uh, too much. It will every now and then, but you know, we're sitting here debating about five or seven minutes shortening. Uh, I'm not trying to hear that. And, you know, they they try to uh, limit the, pitchers and catchers going out to the mound and talk well you got to look at it from this standpoint those guys are trying to get on the same page you got guys throwing 100 miles per hour you got them throwing off speed pitches and the catcher and the pitcher they're just trying to get their signs right because once they get crossed up that that could hurt uh a lot of you know it could hurt the catcher if he thinks a breaking ball is coming in the dirt and the guy throws a fastball hits him right in the face mask at 100 miles per hour he doesn't expect it that that's really bad. If it hits the umpire, same thing. So there's so many things that are, you know, we do for the safety purpose, but it's also again on the same page with, with certain things. But, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very opinionated when I say I'm, I'm not for the change at all. I, you know, if the real fans will respect, you know, a good nine inning game of baseball. And like I said, if, if three hours and, 15 minutes is a big difference from three hours, then uh, I don't know. I, th- I think you're asking the wrong guy because, like I said, I mean, this game is – it's a slower-paced game. We all know that, and there can be a lot of action, but these games take a, a-, a while. And uh, cutting them down five to seven minutes, I'm, I'm not for it. It's just let the game be. But, uh, yeah, that that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I'm pretty much entirely on board with what you said. You know, I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan. I live half a mile from Wrigley Field, big Cubs fan, watch a ton of games. And I just don't understand, like you like, like you mentioned, trying to legislate out five to ten minutes of a game. Because baseball is a slow sport. It's a pace sport. It doesn't have to be a quick sport, in my opinion. So I agree. Like, I think rules like maybe getting rid of the intentional walk, like that's pretty harmless. As yeah. far, you know, that like stuff like that is sensible. But once you start tinkering with the fabric of the game, I I – Definitely fall on your side of the argument there. Um, and then I have one more question regarding another hot-button topic in Major League Baseball right now, and that's just kind of the, the free agent freeze we're, we're seeing right now where Oof. there's been no hot stove like we're used to. You know, the winter meetings came and went without much action. There's a lot of guys on sign. Now there's kind of uh, – it's really bubbling up now with Major League players accusing owners of collusion and uh, including to keep contracts down and – uh, you know, kind of waiting each other out and seeing who's going to blink first. So I was hoping to get your thoughts on, on what's going on right now. As a guy, you know, you're, you're under contract. You you uh, signed an extension recently, like I mentioned. What's your What are your thoughts on, on uh, what the players are going through right now and, and what the owners may or may not be doing? It's wild, man. That's the only word I can – I can use to describe it. And, you know, for me, I'm always going to stick up for the players no matter what. And I, I feel terrible for the guys out there who, you know, especially the guys who absolutely 
balled out last year, you know, had great years. And, you know, for us in baseball, you wait your whole life. I mean, you know, all these guys wait their whole lives to be a free agent. In baseball, you have to wait. You have to do six full years in the big leagues before you're a free agent. And for most guys, that happens at age 29 to 31 usually, and sometimes even later than that. But, you know, NBA and NBA, I think it's it's two or three years, and then you see these guys get these contracts, whatever, good for them and their union. But for us, you know, these guys have played, you know, so much blood, sweat, dedication, tears into these past six years to try to earn that contract, which is going to um, – you know, it's their livelihood, and uh, I know athletes get paid all, really well and and whatnot. I'm not I'm not arguing against that, but this has been the craziest off season. I think we can say that all of us have ever seen with with a hundred plus free agents still out there waiting for teams. And I just saw an article earlier that there's going to be um, a free agent spring training. They're gonna they're gonna get a couple facilities in Florida and Arizona and have a spring training for the guys who aren't signed. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, this seems like it's coming from a movie, to be honest. But it's gotten to that point now. I don't know why or how it's it's working like this. But I, uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I'm in the situation I am because I just, I don't know how stressful this has to be for um, those hundred guys out there, especially for the guys last year or, you know, their platform year to go out and uh, do great things. I had a teammate last year, Logan Morrison, who had 38 home runs, had the best year of his career, and he hasn't heard anything, like I said, like a lot of other guys. But, you know, you think you hold your head high uh, once the season over, and you're like, okay, I just I just set my family up for forever, and this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. And still, it's just, it's crickets. These guys hear nothing, and it's uh I don't I don't have an answer to it, man. I really don't. But um, like I said, my my heart goes out to those guys out there, and I just hope I hope it gets resolved sooner than later. Yeah, it's been fascinating to follow, you know, just as a fan. And I could talk baseball with you all all night, but uh, I want to let you go here soon, so uh, I won't do that. But I just want to say that it's always interesting to me when fans out there, and I've seen this on social media, this kind of sentiment floating around that. Uh, oh, well, these baseball players are millionaires. They should be happy to get what they get and play the game. But that's ignoring the fact that the owners are billionaires. And, and, you know, like, so you're picking the billionaires over the millionaire players, like you said, who have worked, you know, their, uh, worked their butts off to get to where they are. And and I just think if more people could hear that perspective that you just laid out, then it would, it would, uh, kind of become more clear to people that don't understand why players aren't just happy with, whatever taking less money but yeah i'm glad you put it that way um and i got a couple more questions on purdue before i let you go kevin all right um the first one uh this is i'm I'm very curious to hear would you trade you have two gold gloves so far would you would you trade one of your gold gloves right now if it guaranteed purdue would win a national title this year 100 percent, yes and why is that i i have that no one can take that title away from me the award means the world to me um and i would still be the gold glove winner to that year but i i would sacrifice that glove for purdue to win a national championship that would um be one of the greatest moments of my life and i'm just gonna hope that they can do that without me sacrificing gold glove this year so hopefully uh you know we can backtrack this conversation and um so we'll see, but I 100% for sure would do it. I already know if, if Purdue makes the Final Four or wins it all, I definitely got to have you back on just to hear the the, the reaction. Um, but I'll wrap up with one final question here. I did some research, obviously, coming in uh, to this discussion, and, and I looked at the Rays' schedule, and I've got good news and bad news for you. I'm sure I, – I, I'm willing to bet that you've looked this far ahead as well, but the bad news is Saturday of the Final Four – you have a 6 o'clock game against the Red Sox. The good nope. news is the day of the national championship game, April 2nd, you have a day game at Yankee Stadium. So that evening you'll be free to watch Purdue in the national championship if it comes to that. Yes, I, I'm all for that. And I always hoped that I wish I could somehow – I wish Purdue would somehow play one of these games in Florida. I would drive – I would 
figure out a way in spring training to go to one of these games in March Madness. I would figure out a way. My coaches would let me. It's never going to work out. They always play, I feel like, in the Midwest or somewhere far away in the West, whatever. But I don't think I'll ever be able to watch as far as I'm playing. But, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, if we have a day game, Yankee Stadium, and they're playing that, that Monday night national championship, I'll be the I'll be the happiest man on the planet. So you can organize I, the Purdue watch party out in uh, Manhattan. That's that's right in the in the Big Apple. That would that would be a dream come true. Plenty of Big Ten fans out in New York, and we'll see them in a few weeks there here is, at the tournament. There yeah, really is. They and got a couple banners uh, uh, in Yankee Stadium supporting the Big Ten Network. So yeah, I always love looking over, and I always see that uh, that Purdue P, and uh, always makes me smile. Yeah, uh, when I went to Yankee Stadium a few years back, the first thing I noticed was that. The Big Ten promos uh, along, I think it was the first baseline yep. there. It's pretty cool. Yep, that's um, exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, a couple couple more pieces of good news. One, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a day or a day off after uh, that April 2nd game. So if Purdue does pull it off, you'll have all day <laughs> to recover. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and it could always rain on uh, on that Saturday of the, of the Final Four. So there, there's two... Uh, Two more slivers of good news for you as, as you uh, plan ahead for the uh, Purdue Final Four birth yes. in San Antonio. You, you paint a pretty good picture with all that, so now we just we got to make it happen. All right. Yes, sir. I hope to, uh, hope to see Purdue there. I hope, I hope as many Big Ten teams as possible get in. You know, I think Purdue and Michigan State are two teams that uh, have a good shot, and after what we saw from Ohio State tonight, maybe they do as well. And, uh, Kevin, before, we, before I let you go, I just want to say thanks again for uh, coming on the show Tons of great insight, both in college basketball, your fandom, and the Major League Baseball situation in the Tampa Bay Rays. So really appreciate it, man, and hopefully we can get you on again soon. Well, thank you for having me. I could I could talk Purdue basketball all night, so uh, I, I appreciate you having me. All right, thanks a lot once again to Mr. Kiermaier for joining me. Really enjoyed my discussion with him. Um, I think it's cool that a guy who's had so much success in the major leagues has, has got the big contract, you know, he's got the, the accolades, still just enjoys sitting down, rooting like hell for his favorite college team. Like, that's just, you know, a cool thing to, to hear that passion out of a, a major leaguer who's competed at the highest levels. They still get so worked up, and, and you can hear the, the passion in his voice talking Purdue hoops. So that was a lot of fun. I uh, really appreciate him taking the time, especially in what must have been a, a sour mood following Purdue's defeat the other night. Now we'll kick it over to our interview with the second Kevin of the episode, Kevin Kugler. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Kevin was on hand. He was the play-by-play man for the Purdue-Ohio State game on BTN Wednesday night. He uh, did a great job along with the entire BTN crew. We, we really... Uh, went all out for, for this game. There was a pregame show on Facebook Live with a lot of our talent on there. Andy Katz was sideline reporting. And we had John Crispin, Seth Davis, and Kevin Kugler in the booth. And we just, I think, had a uh, great night overall as a network. And the game was equally as, uh, as fun and phenomenal. So without further ado, toss it over to Mr. Kugler. Take 10 podcast discussion with play-by-play man Kevin Kugler. I'm very pleased to be joined by BTN play-by-play man. He was at the game Wednesday night between Purdue and Ohio State. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Kugler. It is Kevin Kugler himself. Kevin, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. It is uh, great to talk with you. Great to be back as a return guest on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, recurring guest. You're not the first recurring guest, but you were my second guest overall, so it's good to get you back on and uh, talk some hoops this time. Last time we kind of got into your, your media career, and we'll talk some uh, some basketball, especially what you saw last night between Purdue and Ohio State. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk hoops with you. I think it's going to be a fascinating final three weeks of the uh, – of the Big Ten season, and we had just an unbelievable atmosphere. I, I've been to Mackey before for games, obviously, and we, we've done several Purdue games already this year on BTN, but I'm not sure I've ever heard 
not only Mackey, but any place louder than what we had at Mackey Arena last night. It was it was a really special night for uh, for BTN, and it was a special night for us as uh, as broadcasters to get a chance to do a game like that. Yeah, Andy Katz said right before tip off that it was louder than uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, louder or better than Cameron Indoor Stadium as well. And we put that out on social media that little quote, and he caught some flack for it. But I, you know, I think everything I've heard from people who've been there this year and who have called games there, I can't take any issue with what he said, especially, you know, with, with all the positive reaction broadcasters and visitors have gotten from Mackey this year. Well, and look, as John Crispin said after we had that on the air, he, look, every fan thinks their place is the best place. And he's right. I mean, every fan thinks, you know, Kansas fans think Fog Allen's the best. Nebraska fans think Pinnacle Bank Arena's the best. Indiana fans think Assembly Hall's the best. I mean, we, we all have our proclivities toward what we know and what we think is the best, but boy, as someone whose ears were in that building last night, uh, I'm not so sure that there's any place that could have rivaled Mackey Arena at least last night. You know, you get the, you get a top 15 matchup in February, just three weeks away. You're riding a 19-game winning streak for the home team. You come out, take a big lead. You get up by 14 with 10 to go, and and then the huge comeback by Ohio State. I mean, it was it was everything we hoped that game would be. Just terrific drama last night on BTN. Yeah, and it kind of looked like for a while that Purdue was just going to do what they do. They weren't playing their best ball, but they were just kind of grinding it out, grinding Ohio State down. And they got up double digits in the second half, and it looked like the ending was kind of a foregone conclusion. And the game just turned, and Purdue couldn't hit a shot. They couldn't rebound effectively, and Ohio State pounced at the end. And I mentioned to you before we came on the show here, but I talked to – Kevin Kiermeyer, the, the Rays center fielder, immediately after that game, he's a diehard Purdue fan, like bleeds black and gold. So no pressure. This is the all-Kevin podcast. Uh, You've got to live up to the, the, uh, the Kevin name now. I'll do what I can. I mean, I, I'm still, I've got big feet to, sh- to, to follow here, big shoes to follow with him. So I'll, I'll do what I can. The all-Kevin podcast has the potential to be BTN's most successful podcast ever. I like where, I like, uh, where your head's at. I think – uh, it'll, it'll be a great episode, a great day for the Kevin name, and uh, you just got to hold up your end of the bargain here. So we'll get right into it. We'll do it, Jay. And uh, you had a kind of a unique broadcast last night. It was a, a three-man broadcast. The game was on BTN, and uh, it was a huge game for, for the network itself. I mean, we don't have games all that often where there's two top 15 teams and definitely went all out and covering it. You were joined uh, alongside Seth Davis and John Crispin. So what was that adjustment like just as a broadcaster, having two other guys in the booth next to you as opposed to just one? Well, I'm fortunate that I've had the chance to do it both on radio and TV before. My radio booth uh, at, the, at the Final Four every year for uh, since 2008 for Western One has been a three-man booth. And, and, it, and really, for a successful three-man booth, it's not as much on the play-by-play guy as it is on the two analysts because – Everybody has to understand that for the good of the broadcast, you have to curtail what you do just a little bit. You know, I don't get to be as deliberate with my play calls on radio or television because I need to get out of the way quicker so that the analysts can converse. And and it's really upon the analysts then to be able to generate and facilitate that conversation between the two of them. I can team off, but they've got to be able to keep that conversation going. And, And fortunately... We had two terrific guys in uh, in John Crispin, who's with us a lot on BTN, as is Seth Davis, and they both had the, they both had the uh, the right and appropriate attitude going into that. Of the game is the thing, the broadcast is the thing. We'll have our conversation, we'll do our analysis work, but you know everybody understood that they have to kind of peel back a little bit from what they normally would do in a situation like that if it were just a two man game. So it, it it was a very unique circumstance and it was a very unique game that demanded unique coverage and uh, I was I was very proud of what everybody at the network did from the pregame show to the postgame work to the halftime studio I mean everybody really was able to lift a lot for that and I was I was very pleased with what I what I saw and what I heard yeah I thought you guys did a great job and um, just seeing the social media feedback I, I have to ask I would not be doing my journalistic duty if I didn't <laughs> who were who you rooting for last night? Because I, I, with all the tweets coming into Big Ten Network, I think there were equal amounts of people on both sides claiming you were rooting for Ohio State and Purdue. So clear this up. Who were you rooting for in that game last night, Kevin? 
Yeah, I was. You know what I was rooting for? I was rooting for BTN because that, that's what I'm always rooting for on these games. I, I want us to have a good game, and I want our network to have a good show. And and I think that a mission accomplished that. And and look, I always feel good about that when we get those tweets coming in from both sides. And I certainly had plenty of those last night because that you know, look, that game was a perfect game for fans to react that way. Of course. Ohio State fans are going to feel like not much is being said. Especially, look at the second half. Just take the second half, and you're a fan of one of these two teams. Well, the first half of the second half was all Purdue. They opened up a 14-point lead with 10 minutes to go. So, of course, there's not a lot of scoring plays for Ohio State in that span, and there's a lot of scoring plays for Purdue in that span to open up a 14-point lead. So if you're an Ohio State fan, of course you're watching that going, these announcers are never saying anything about my team because your team's not doing anything at this moment. So. <laughs> right. That's, it, it, it lends itself to talk more about Purdue. Well, then on the flip side, for the final 10 minutes, Purdue gets beaten at their own game, and Ohio State chips away and chips away and goes on the long run at the end of the game to eventually get the win at Mackey. So at the end of the game, it's more Ohio State talk because they win the game. Uh, to me, it was the perfect balance, and I was not at all surprised to see that we had fans on both sides. You were homering for this team or that team. It's all part of the gig. Uh, every fan looks for a broadcaster to take out their ire on when they are not happy with what's happening on the screen. And unfortunately for both fan bases, they had reasons to be happy and unhappy last night, and so they both went after us, which is fine. We're all big boys. We can take it. Yeah, and uh, Ohio State came away with a 64-63 victory on the late tip-in by Kata Bates-Diop. And really until last night, in my eyes, you know, Ohio State was a nice story. I knew they could make some noise. They, they had proven they could knock off the top team in the country. They had already done it against Michigan State. But I wasn't really sure if they could be a contender that would go late into March until last night. But I, I can't ignore it personally anymore because when you have a guy like Kata Bates-Diop, he's proven time and time again this year that not only can he fill up the stat sheet, he is a guy that le- legitimately demands the ball and can convert in late-game situations in the clutch and can carry a team to a win uh, like last night, and, and you're not going to get any tougher environment than Mackey Arena with the number three team in the country. So, in my eyes, they're legitimized as a Final Four contender because they've proven they can beat top five teams. Is that a similar view? Do you hold that view, or do you uh, do you still think Ohio State has anything left to prove? Because I don't. No, I, I don't think I, I, I. What could Ohio State prove? They've beaten the other two teams that are contending for the Big Ten championship this year. I mean, they've beaten Purdue. They've beaten. Michigan State. To me, this Ohio State team deserves to be every bit in that conversation, and and they've proven it by beating the other two teams that are that they have to go head to head against to try to win that. I'm not saying they've locked it up because in this league, nothing surprises me this year. We've had so many close games this season. There's a lot of evenness, but when you have a player like Kata Bates Diop, and and just to be sure, Kata Bates Diop, I, I looked at the box score again after the game just to make sure. Kata Bates-Diop did not have the world's greatest game last night. He was not the all-world Kata Bates-Diop like he was in Michigan State in the win against Michigan State when he had 32 or even the win against Illinois when he had 35. This was a guy who was good and was great at the end but was not great from start to finish because Purdue is a really good basketball team, a Final Four caliber team as well. So for all the talk of the demise of the Big Ten this year and Oh, woe is this league. I, I, I've seen every team up close multiple times. I don't say woe is this league. I, there are three teams now. You put Ohio State into the conversation. There are three teams in this league that are talented enough, capable enough to make really deep runs, not only through the Big Ten tournament, but through the NCAA tournament. And I, there's, you, know, you can look at a lot of other leagues and not find three teams that you could legitimately make an argument for Sweet 16 and beyond, and I think you can do that with those three teams now in this league. Yeah, it's a good point about Bates Diop's game last night. You know, he was kind of quiet in the first half, but it's that killer instinct, and that's the type of game that takes over in March and can really carry you through a uh, tournament like March Madness uh, when you need to reel off six in a row. Uh, on the flip side, I want to talk about Purdue a little bit. Last night does not change how I feel about Purdue as contenders at all. You know, when you go on a winning streak, that's as long as 19 games. You're bound to trip up eventually. You can kind of see how a loss in March might play out with just those rebounding woes if they don't box out like they did last night. But how do you think Purdue's going to respond now that they've taken one on the chin and now they've got to go right uh, back on the road with a tough game, tough turnaround playing at Michigan State? How do you think they respond? 
I think it's a uh, I think it's a perfect game for Purdue to have on the heels of their first loss in 20 games because you have no chance that you're going to be complacent or be moping or be pouting or any bad emotion other than angry coming off that game and hoping you channel that if you're Purdue into the game against Michigan State. Michigan State is a team that has obviously shown that it has some some flaws at times, some weaknesses, turnovers being one, defense at times can be another. I, I really do think Purdue responds with a real bigger and with what what Purdue responds with is the tenor of an experienced team. Uh, experience is a great thing to have here for Purdue. These guys are experienced. They know what happened last night. They know that it doesn't have to happen again. They've been through losses before, so this is not going to be something where they're a bunch of young kids that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we lost a basketball game. Well, they've lost basketball games before. They knew it was going to happen again, and now they rely on that leadership to regroup, and I, and I think we'll see a very, very good basketball game this weekend between those two teams. Both teams are looking for sort of that get-right game, if you will. Michigan State's smarting a little bit after the tight one that gave a lot of ton of points to Iowa, and, of course, Purdue smarting after the loss to Ohio State. And it's a different kind of get-right game. A lot of times you think of a get-right game as, well, we're going to play somebody we can beat up on and then get right that way. I think a get-right game in this instance is play really well against high-level competition, and you're not going to get a higher-level competition than the competition those two teams will see this weekend. Yeah, really looking forward to that one on Saturday. And what Ohio State's done now is really turn this Big Ten race into a race that's as fascinating as it can get. It's going to be a uh, three-team pretty much sprint to the end, especially if Michigan State can uh, make things even interesting uh, a little bit further now if they can beat Purdue on Saturday. One team that's not in the Big Ten title race, but they are near the top of the Big Ten, they're in the top third of the Big Ten, is the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers. You know them very well, and they've been another surprise team in the conference this year. They're sitting at 18-8, and 9-4 and four in Big Ten play. They've got a ton of contributions from incoming transfers after losing some uh, production last year. And I'm just curious what you attribute most of their success to, because coming into the season there were so many unknowns, and the transfers have filled those roles. So do you attribute the success to those players, or, or how much credit does Tim Miles deserve on, on top of that, uh, that success they've had so far? Well, I think there is an art to blending a team together. Uh, John Calipari has been expert at this over the years in taking talent, usually a lot of freshmen that are high caliber, and blending them into a team. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that because people just think he's got the best talent, so he's going to roll out there and win a bunch of games. And it's not just as easy as that, as you're seeing with his team this year. It's just it's one of those situations that sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't, and it takes a good coach to be able to do that. I think Tim Miles deserves some credit for how he was able to blend this team together to be successful. You're, you're bringing in guys from different walks of life in different parts of their career who have had different experiences, and you're trying to develop the younger guys while also making the newcomers and the transfers better on the floor. I think they've really succeeded in that. Look at the growth that you've seen from Nebraska this year. You look at a guy like, like Copeland, who was two years ago poised for greatness in the Big East and then had the back problems came to Nebraska, and I think it's just a terrific, terrific player. James Palmer Jr. never exhibited signs of this when he was at Miami, but he's developed into what I think is a first-team All-Big Ten caliber player. And Isaiah Roby, one of the young ones, over the last month has started to understand he can be a really good player in the Big Ten Conference and in college basketball. And Tim Miles' adjustments by going a little bit smaller with their lineup and being able to figure out ways to defend teams like Wisconsin and defend teams that they play like Michigan and cause problems for those teams. I really think the blend of coaching and talent has finally come together right now for Nebraska. That's not a team that anybody, Alex, is going to be eager to play over the final three weeks of the season and when we all gather in New York for the Big Ten tournament because you have a guy who can create his own shot in Palmer. Copeland's also a guy who can do that. Glenn Watson has been, over the course of his career, somebody who can explode for 30 points on a given night. He's been inconsistent offensively, but he's still getting things done on a defensive standpoint. And now you have Roby, who's a matchup nightmare for most teams in the league because his athleticism, his 
abilities to bring the ball up if they need him to. I mean, there's a lot of pluses for this Nebraska team. And, and I mean, look, there's, there's not been a lot of pluses for Nebraska basketball in the history of their program. They've never won an NCAA tournament game. They're, they're, they're basically it on the list of power conference teams that have not won an NCAA tournament game. But this is a team that is going to be real interesting to watch in February and March. And I, I do think that if they can finish their conference slate strong and they've got four of the final five at home, if they can finish it strong, I think they've got a real good shot to be that fifth team from the Big Ten that gets into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they're fun to watch. And like you mentioned, uh, Palmer was no sure thing coming out of Miami. He averaged like four points a game before, before transferring. And when you have a team of transfers, it can go one of two ways. It can clash and not really mesh, or it can blend together like we've seen with this Nebraska team. And I think even after these guys move on, you're starting to see a guy like Isaiah Roby, who's really blossoming into a star before our eyes, and I think he's growing under Palmer and Copeland uh, kind of in the, in the perfect way for the future for him. So I think if Nebraska, I agree, if they can take care of business, I can't see how they get left out if they can have 22 wins on their resume, 23 wins, something like that. And even if they don't have the marquee win, per se, I don't see how they get left out of the field of 68. Uh, I still want to talk a little more Huskers before I let you go, Kevin, but I want to flip it over to Nebraska football real quick um, because right now just seeing all of the hype, all the excitement surrounding the Scott Frost hire, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they sold out their spring game in two days or whatever it was recently. So you're a Nebraska guy. uh, You live there. Give me a sense of the atmosphere in that part of the country on that, that rich Nebraska soil. What's the vibe surrounding Scott Frost and the Huskers right now? It's amazing, Alex. I was telling somebody this earlier today, as a matter of fact. It's like the 4-8 and eight season that just finished for Nebraska football was 45 years ago. And it's, I mean, it's, it seems that distant to people in this state right now because the expectations and excitement and hype are off the charts for Scott Frost and what he's going to bring as he's come back to his alma mater to try to to try to resurrect a, uh, a fallen football program. And make no mistake, Nebraska football's fallen. I mean, it is, a, it is a shadow of its former self. The Mike Riley era will be looked upon as really not <laughs> – I mean, I hate to say the word failure, but it was a failure in almost every account. And now it's Scott Frost's job to, to build it back up. And the first thing he had to do was resurrect good feelings in the state. Well, that mission's been accomplished. I mean, this is a place that is passionate for its football – and they are passionate for what Scott Frost is going to bring. That, that spring game on April 21st at 11 a.m. Central Time is going to be goofy. I mean, it's just, you're talking 90,000 people to watch, to get their first glimpse of what Scott Frost's offense and what Scott Frost's team might look like at Nebraska. And, you know, if you know anything about Scott Frost, you know you're not going to get a whole lot of glimpses of what it's going to look like because that thing is going to be as bread and butter as it can possibly be. They're not going to reveal too much about what they want to do come the fall for everybody else in the league to see. But it is, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. I'm with you. I, I've not seen anything quite like this. There was excitement around here when Bo Pelini returned. He'd been the defensive coordinator, came back as head coach. There was some excitement. and People were excited about what was coming there on the heels of the Callahan era. But it's, it, it pales in comparison to what's happening here. And, and Scott said at his press conference earlier in the week on signing day that, you know, he wasn't here to win in February. He came here to win in the fall. But the first win he could get was in February, and he, he got that win. He's one to know when it comes to winning things that aren't actually games because he certainly won the hearts of Nebraska fans with a very good finish on signing day. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, yesterday was the second signing day, and – just the engagement numbers, working in digital in the digital department here at BTN, I mean, even anything we shared that was even remotely connected to any of the recruits, it would just take off and it would go viral. And that's something that you don't see from a lot of fan bases. It's certainly not on that level. Uh, getting to the actual football, I know you said he's 1-0 off the field. What's it going to be like in year one? Because it is a rebuilding project. Do you think – there's a uh, there's some wins to be salvaged in this season. What's the football itself going to be like if you can uh, predict, you know, eight months out or whatever, seven months out right now in February? Yeah, it's a, Alex, it's a tough schedule for Nebraska this year. I mean, they, they, do not, they did not fall in the right spot on the rotation for it to be 
a season where you go into it and go, oh, he's going to duplicate what he did with Central Florida. No, I, it, that, that's, that's, a, that's a hill too steep to climb, and I, I don't think the expectations are there. I, I think people just want to see hope. I mean, they just want to see hope that is it going to be better? And that's the hope that they get with Scott Frost. Is it going to be better? And I, I think it will be. I think there are wins to be found there. I think 7-5 and five is a very reasonable expectation in year one for Scott Frost. I think that's a, that's a bar that they can, that they can elevate to. And, and look, that's a three win improvement over what happened last year. So while seven and five, five years from now would be seen as a massive disappointment in the Scott Frost era, seven and five in year one, I think is a very reasonable expectation and one that's attainable. They're going to have a brand new quarterback in a new system. I don't know who that quarterback is going to be. That's going to be one of the most interesting stories in the early stages of the Scott Frost era. Will it be one of the guys who came in under the old system? Will he be able to adapt his system to that quarterback if he's the best guy? Or will it be the freshman Adrian Martinez that he brought in in this signing class who's already on campus and will participate in spring ball? There's there's so many interesting things to talk about with this program and with this team, and it, it's just getting started. But, yeah, I think there are wins there. I, I don't think anybody – down there is going to say, well, you know what, we'll just write off 2018 and aim to 2019. You can't do that. You can't do that at a football school. Nobody would ever allow that at Ohio State or Michigan or Wisconsin. They're certainly not going to allow it at Nebraska either. Yeah, I'm excited to follow this, this whole project as it goes forward. I'm excited to get back to Lincoln, hopefully this summer on the bus tour, because I had one, it was one of the best experiences, I think, just going to a practice, seeing the facilities, seeing the passion there, because you know, not every place you go and there's a, a U.S. senator there. I think Ben Sass was there. Larry the Cable Guy was there just randomly watching practice. Like, that was so cool just to see the passion for, for just an off-season workout. So I'm excited to get back, and I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about with the the uh, level of interest there, even on, in the off-season. They, uh, they are rock stars, Alex. I mean, that, that's just and, – and Scott Frost is – it's like Mick Jagger came back and uh, dipped himself into the fountain of youth and was restarting the Rolling Stones. I mean, this is a this is a massive, massive influx of enthusiasm to the state of Nebraska in a state that sorely needed it after the four and eight football season. Scott has provided a jolt of adrenaline, and now it's just a matter of Scott and his staff, and I, I think they're very, very capable of doing this, of channeling that momentum into success on the football field, and, and we'll start to see that in a, in a few weeks when spring balls get started. All right, last thing I wanted to get to before I let you go, and it's not even really a question, but a couple weeks ago I was driving to get some food before the AFC Championship, flipped the radio on. You were calling the Jags-Patriots AFC Championship game, and I was rooting for the Jaguars not only because I'm a, a documented Patriots hater, but also because uh, <laughs> Jags owner, Shad Khan, is from my hometown, so i got to – show him some love, and, and that game killed me because Jags are right there and just kind of let it slip away. It was kind of the whole impending doom feeling that, that you get when you're going against Tom Brady and the Patriots, and they, they uh, pulled it off, as you well know, and got to the Super Bowl, and you called it. Um, so my question for you is, how close do you think the Jaguars are to being a Super Bowl contender? Because they were right there. Uh, they were on the doorstep, and now with, with the Patriots kind of in a little – I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but – there seems to be a little more turmoil than usual with them. What did you see out of that game? And uh, on top of that, are, are you glad you get to take a breath now from the NFL? Uh, I, I look, I love calling the NFL, but it's always nice when the season comes to an end and I can I can focus solely on basketball for a while, which is kind of fun. Uh, so that's the second part of the question. The first part is I think the Jags are close, man. I, I really do. I, if you told me that Blake Bortles turned a corner in this postseason, that what we saw from Blake Bortles over the postseason – was what would carry over into next year at the quarterback spot for Jacksonville. Man, because I, I like what they are. I like where they are at almost every other position on that team. If he's the guy we saw in the postseason, he was really good against the Patriots. If he's that guy, this Jacksonville team can go a long way. And, oh, by the way, they made the AFC Championship even with Blake Bortles as he was in his current incarnation. Their defense is terrific and young and aggressive and, and their offense with a terrific running back. I mean, there's, there's just a lot to like for this Jacksonville franchise, I think it's a it's a it's a team that's really on the upswing, and you know it's a team that all of a sudden you know they're not a prime time team. We don't ever see them on prime time games, other than the random Thursday night matchup. You'll see them on prime time this year because they have young, exciting players, young talent, 
and they're pretty good. I, I have no doubt that they'll show up on a Sunday night or a Monday night football game this year because they're going to be one of the young, exciting teams that the league has to offer starting next season. All right, we've talked NFL on this podcast, talked Major League Baseball with Kevin Kiermeyer, talked a ton of college hoops, college football. The Kevin podcast is looking pretty good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think uh, this might be something we'll have to try again and uh, always a wide range of topics to, to cover when, when you're on, Kevin, so I appreciate it. And we will see you in New York pretty soon. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you having me on again. All right. Thanks once again to Mr. Kiermeyer and Mr. Kugler for joining me. Had a lot of fun talking to those guys. Um, both very knowledgeable, super relatable, down to earth. And uh, it's those kind of guests that I think really makes this show enjoyable for me to do. And uh, feel lucky to be able to talk to guys like that and get their insight. So I hope everyone enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed the interviews. And we'll continue to try and bring in high-level guests as uh, we march toward the Big Ten Tournament, March Madness, and um, as we roll along here on the Take 10 Podcast. So thanks as always to everyone for listening. Thanks to Wes White once again for producing the show. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.